0: What a blessing this music ministry is uh, to our church and how grateful we are to Calvin and to Christy and to James and to Jenny and to all those who uh, serve and lead us. Uh, You bring us to the throne of grace. You help us understand how to praise the Lord not just with our head but with our heart and we are truly, truly grateful. I invite you to turn in your Bibles to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and if you need a Bible this morning, you can take the one that's in front of you, and you'll find our text on page 966 in that Bible. My great-grandmother immigrated from Sweden when she was a little girl. By the time I knew her, uh, Grandma Gertie, as we called her, was, uh, was very old, and she struggled with dementia. She didn't really... Uh, know almost anything that was going on she got names wrong she lived mostly uh, even at that point in her life with my grandfather my grandfather's house Um, and then she would also also spend a few weeks with us every year she had dementia but she was she was a happy happy old woman and uh, she created a lot of funny stories during that time for us as a family Uh, she loved she loved watching TV, she loved to sit in front of the TV because she truly believed that she was looking through a window, she didn't understand TV, she literally thought she was, she was looking at people who were just on the other side of this window. She loved For, for those of you who are older, she loved Saturday morning, she loved watching American Bandstand because it's this thing where they played popular music and people are dancing the whole time and it made her so happy. She wanted to see the people dancing, she would clap, she would wave at them. Um, It just, for hours, she loved watching that. She thought the TV was a window. She often thought that the pictures on the walls were windows as well. So in our family room, in our house, we had this picture in our family room that was of these three Scandinavian, Norwegian, Swedish women who were out working in the field. And I remember one one day when uh, my grandma Gertie got so frustrated at my mom. Um, because uh, as she said, she called my mom in the family room and she said, I don't don't know why you won't invite them in. They've been working all day in the field and you have not invited them in for coffee. And she was just more, she's so frustrated. It didn't help to tell her there was a picture. She just insisted that those women needed uh, some coffee to carry on with their day. Uh, She couldn't walk at all. Um, she was always in a wheelchair she had to be lifted into her bed she had to be lifted out of her bed into the wheelchair Uh, couldn't walk at all and yet somehow um, at one point uh, when we my family lived in a a split level house in the middle of the night 2 a.m. she went up two flights of stairs by herself and showed up in my mom and dad's bedroom, scaring my dad. He said, almost to death, I thought I was seeing a ghost. I didn't know who this woman in white was that had showed up in in our room. And to this day, we have no clue how this woman who couldn't walk got up the stairs, uh, two flights of stairs. There were a lot of funny things she said. She would always ask me when I would sit and watch TV with her. She would ask me over and over again, like every five minutes, she would ask me what time it was. She called me by a lot of different names. She said a lot of funny things. But my favorite thing that she ever said happened when my mom was getting her ready for bed uh, one night and she was really, Grandma Gertie was really frustrated and getting more and more irritable as she was getting ready for bed and my mom's trying to take care of her. And uh, as my mom was kind of there with her, kind of holding her to get her into the bed, she said to my mom, I don't know where I am and I don't know why I'm here and I don't know who you are but I'm sure glad you're with me. (laughs) What about you? Do you know where you are? Do you know why you're here? Do you know why you're here? That's the question for us this morning. Last week we looked at the question, do you know who you are? We saw in scripture in Ephesians chapter one that those who have put their faith in Christ are the ones who are chosen by God, who are united to Christ and who are indwelled by the Holy Spirit, The promise of what is to come. But why are we here? Why does God still have us here? Context that we have for the verses we're about to read, Paul wrestles with that question of context. Paul's defending his ministry to the Corinthians. The Corinthians were not pleased. There were some conflicts between them and Paul. Paul's defending his ministry, and at the beginning of chapter five of 2 Corinthians, He does just talk about why he's here. Why isn't he in heaven? He talks about whether it'd be better to be in heaven or better to be here. And so I think as he wrestles with that and we get to verse 16, there's some answers for us this morning of why you and I are here. You follow along as I read beginning in verse 16, 2 Corinthians 5. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. We are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Brothers and sisters, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray with me. Heavenly Father, as we sit under your word this morning it is our desire that your Holy Spirit would magnify your name it would magnify the Lord we need that Lord we need to understand you and your greatness and so we pray Holy Spirit that you would come with power work in the very places in our minds and hearts to show us what you have for us this morning we pray in Jesus name amen the last couple of weeks in the uh, shadow of all the violence that we have experienced even firsthand in this church congregation, I've heard some people talk, or overheard some people talk about maybe leaving Memphis. Maybe it's no longer okay to stay here. It's just too much. It's just too unsafe, and we need to go somewhere else. Why why do we stay here? Why do we keep living here? Ah, The question is why do we stay anywhere? Why do we go anywhere? Or maybe the more important question for us, really, as followers of Jesus, is why does God have us here? Wherever here is, why does he have us here? Paul understands in this text why he's still here. He has talked several times in other epistles and in this epistle about wishing to be with the Lord, wishing he were in heaven. But then thinking, but maybe I still need to be here. And it's a good thought, like why doesn't, why, why doesn't the Lord just take us to heaven, why once we're saved doesn't he just at that moment take us up to heaven? Why are we still here? Why are we here on this planet? Why are we here in Memphis, Tennessee? Paul understands this wrestling and he understands why he's here. And he understands that God has given him a ministry, a message, and a mission. And it is true, friends, that these verses that we just read have to do specifically with Paul's ministry. But what we have before us this morning is not something that can only be applied to Paul, or even something that's only applied to those who are in full-time Christian ministry or pastors. No, this is something that we have before us that is a principle and a pattern for all believers everywhere. And I think it helps us understand why we are still here. Three things that are there. First of all, A ministry that's given to us. A ministry that's given to us. It says in verse 18 that he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Now let's put aside the word reconciliation for a second. We'll get to that. Let's just talk about the word ministry. Why does Paul say ministry? What's the point of using the word ministry? Well, it's this that we need to understand this is a spiritual work, that the ministry that we've been given is a spiritual work. It's not just material. It's not just acts of mercy. It's not just making people's lives better. It is a a spiritual work. When Paul thinks about repairing what is broken in the city of Corinth or in Philippi or wherever he is, he's not just thinking about acts of mercy, but he's also and, and especially thinking about transformational spiritual work that has to take place in hearts and minds. Now don't misunderstand me, I'm not separating those two because God's word doesn't separate those two. Wherever there is gospel proclamation, there are acts of mercy. Those things have to go together. and We can't separate them and separate ourselves over them. Those are things that come together. But at the core of all of this, brothers and sisters, this is a spiritual work that God has given us. Notice in verses 16 and 17, What Paul says there, verse 16, from now on therefore we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. What is he saying? Paul's saying, listen, now that we've come to know Christ, now that we've been given this ministry, we don't look at anybody from a worldly point of view. We used to look at Christ that way. We just looked at the externals of Jesus, and we looked at the externals of people, but we don't do that like the world does. We don't just look at the outward of who they are and what they do and what their job is and how they can help us, how they can can help us move up in society, how they can help us economically, whether or not we get along with them. We don't just look at those externals anymore. Instead, there's, there's something spiritual here. And then he goes on in verse 17 to talk about our own transformation, that everyone who is in Christ is a new creation The old is gone and the new has come. That has only happened because the Holy Spirit is working in us a regeneration because we are being made a new creation. This transformation is something that's deeply spiritual. And so you take those two things together, we don't look at people from the externals, but we're looking for a deep spiritual transformation and you understand therefore that we look at people in this world differently. We as followers of Christ Because we understand that this is a spiritual work, we look at people and we look at this world very differently than we did before we came to know Christ. We look at the world, we look at people like Jesus did. That's how we see them. And so our hearts are filled with compassion when we see people who seem to be lost like sheep without a shepherd. Because we have eyes to understand that this is a spiritual work. And and Jesus gave us this ministry. No, Jesus is only, his ministry was about three years here on earth, and then he went to the cross to to attain our atonement, and then rose again, and then 40 days later ascended into heaven. He was gone. He didn't stick around. He he didn't have a ministry of, of 10, 20, 30, 40 years, and he left the ministry to his disciples. He left the ministry to us. Remember in Matthew 28? Very end of Matthew 28, Jesus right before ascension says, all authority and power has been given into me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, you go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. The ministry, the spiritual work has been handed to us. I love the way it takes place in in Acts chapter 1. Luke's description of it in Acts chapter 1 says that they were out there and they start asking Jesus when he's about to ascend in heaven, hey, are you, um, uh, is the kingdom of Israel gonna come back now? And uh, Jesus says, you know, it's not for you to know the times and the seasons for that. My father has that taken care of. He says, but you are gonna receive power by the Holy Spirit and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. This is a spiritual work that God has given us we are to carry on the work of Jesus. And some of you thinking right now, I don't know if that was a good plan. <laughs> I'm not sure handing Jesus' ministry and work over to us was a good plan. I mean, look at us. We don't seem very equipped for this task. We, we struggle with fear and insecurity and, and the idols of our own heart, and I don't know if it's a good plan. Yeah, but brothers and sisters, it's God's plan. It's God's plan to give you the ministry of reconciliation. It's why we are still here. Ministry given to us. Secondly, I want us to see the message entrusted to us. The message entrusted to us. Says in verse 19, entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Let's now look at the word reconciliation. To reconcile, there has to be a reckoning. For those of you who are accountants in here, it's an accounting word. In fact, in the Greek, in verse 19, when it says, not counting their sins against him, the word that's there in the Greek, that's an accountant word. There's an accounting that takes place. There's accounts that need to be dealt with. And then that powerful verse 21, amazing verse, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Think about that. For our sake, he made. Why for our sake? Because we are in, it's impossible for us to, to reconcile the accounts. We, we don't have any ability to make a reckoning of our sin. For our sake, because of our helplessness, he made. It's God's work. He did all the work. Every bit of the work of reconciliation, it's what God has done, nothing that we have done. That's why it says in verse 18, all this is from God. All this is from God, who has reconciled, through, reconciled us through Christ to himself. He has done the reckoning. You hear people talk about making their peace with God, you should make peace with God, I'm trying to make peace with God. Oh friends, We can't make peace with God. We're incapable of making peace with God. We don't make peace with God. God makes peace with us. That's how it takes place. For our sake he made him, Christ, who didn't know any sin, the sinless son of God. What a cost. Jesus Christ on this earth, 33 years, never sinning, walking in perfect obedience to the Father. His perfect righteousness is the Son of God and perfect obedience, that's what's on his account. And yet, it says God made him to be sin. He bore our sin. He didn't become a sinner, but instead what was in our account, all the filth, all the sin, all the terrible thoughts, all the evil intentions, all the hatred, all the lust, all the envy, all the gossip, all the lying, everything, everything, on our account, placed on Christ's account, that's the reckoning, has to be reckoned with. And there, it's reckoned with all of it. What a cost, that we might become God's righteousness, That, that all that was on Christ's account, all the righteousness of God now placed on our account, that's the reckoning, that's the reconciling of accounts This is the message, brothers and sisters, we have. This is the message that's been entrusted to us. Do you see this is the message that the world needs so badly? This is the message that Memphis needs so badly. We are not gonna solve our crime problem in Memphis until there's transformation of hearts and there's gonna be no transformation of hearts without this message, not that we make peace with God, but that God makes peace with us Brothers and sisters, it's what our neighbors need. This message. And it's been entrusted to you. New creations in Christ have been given this message. It's been entrusted by God to you to bring this message to your neighbors, to this city, to this world. You have the good news. I know some of you are thinking, again, Todd, I don't know that that's a good plan. (laughs) I don't speak very well. I don't present the gospel that well. I get nervous. I get scared. Can't somebody else do it? (laughs) You realize that I just named every excuse that Moses gave God. It's not a good plan, Lord. Yeah, but it's God's plan. And it's why you and I are here. We've been given a message, trusted with a message given a ministry and finally, the mission we are on. The mission we are on. Verse 20 says, we are ambassadors for Christ. Ambassadors, I love that word. I love that Paul used that word. You know what ambassadors do? They go, (laughs) they go. Ambassadors are on a mission. Ambassadors are not settling down to take care of their own affairs. Ambassadors are on a mission. We have a mission and there's a mission that we are on. My, my early childhoods, I've shared before, I grew up in uh, what's now called the Democratic Republic of Congo and back then was called Zaire. I lived there in my, my early childhood years and I have some very fond memories of living in Zaire. And I loved, the, I loved the, a lot of things about Zaire. I loved a lot of things about the food there. But there's one memory that I have that is, was especially dear to me, and that was on the 4th of July, we would go, we'd be invited to go to the U.S. Embassy there in Kinshasa, the capital city. And, and what I loved about going to the U.S. Embassy on the 4th of July is that they had hot dogs and they had ice cream. And those are two things that were really hard to get a hold of in, in Zaire. But it was, it was, when we got there to the U.S. Embassy, it was just, it was a taste of the United States. It was the taste of America. Ice cream and, and hot dogs and ketchup, another thing really hard to get a hold of in Zaire at that time. And that place, as you know, an, an embassy, an embassy in any place of the, of the world is actually uh, the property of that country. So when you step on uh, the the, the, the property of the US embassy in Zaire in Kinshasa you were stepping onto the United States you were now on United States uh, territory brothers and sisters you do realize that this world is not your home in fact memphis even if you grew up here this is not ultimately your home if you have given your life to Christ and your faith rests in Christ this place is not Your home, you have a home, you have a citizenship. And so you know what you are? You are an ambassador for Christ in Memphis, Tennessee. That's what you are. So what does that mean? It means that our homes, our physical property, our backyards, our front porches, you know what they are? They're little embassies. They're little embassies for the kingdom of God. And when people come into our homes, You know what they should experience? They should experience a taste of the kingdom of Christ. Because we are ambassadors. And our properties, our houses should be embassies, should be places where when people come to them, they experience that taste of the kingdom of God. And just like ambassadors, when they go to a place, when the ambassador came to Zaire, what did he do? He, he didn't just try to stay in his own culture, just hang out with Americans, no. He intentionally built relationships. He loved the people of Zaire. He, he, he adapted as many of their cultures as he possibly could without losing his citizenship. He was, he was all in Loving those people and caring for them, knowing them. That's what we do here in Memphis as followers of Christ, as ambassadors for Christ. What do we do? We, we dive in in every way that is not sin. In any way that we can love and care for and connect with our neighbors, any way that isn't sin, we're gonna do that because that's what ambassadors do even as we, our main loyalty remains, not to Memphis, not to America, but to the kingdom of God of God, and just like ambassadors exist to bring the message of their president or of their government, that's what the ambassador of Zaire did, the ambassador of of the United States to Zaire. He wasn't there to bring his own message. He wasn't there to establish his own reputation. He wasn't there to establish his his own community. He was there in order to bring the words, to bring the message, to bring the, the, the interests of the U.S. government, of the United States president to that country, to bring that message. And in the same way, brothers and sisters, we exist here in Memphis to bring the message of the king, not to establish our reputation, but to establish his. We are ambassadors. Notice it says, we are. It doesn't say say we're becoming, we're gonna try to be, Here's the deal, brothers and sisters. If you're a follower of Jesus, you are an ambassador for Christ, whether you're a good one or a bad one. (laughs) Again, some of you are thinking, see, Todd, that's not a good plan. (laughs) Because sometimes I feel like I'm not a very good ambassador for Christ. Sometimes I feel like I'm I'm not doing that that well. Oh, maybe not a good plan, but... I don't know, it's God's plan. So I know he's gonna empower you and me to do that. It's God's plan, and it's why we are here. It's why you're still here. It's why you haven't been taken to heaven. It's why you've been given one more hour, one more day, one more week on this planet, because you have been been given a ministry of reconciliation. You've been entrusted with a message, and you are... On a mission. Brothers and sisters, when we know who we are in Christ, chosen by God the Father, united to Christ, indwelled by the Holy Spirit, when we know who we are and we know why we're here, ambassadors for Christ... Then you know what it does. It transforms everything. It transforms our living. It transforms our schedules. It transforms our finances. It transforms our our, um, our relationships. It transforms our hopes. It transforms our dreams. Because we know who we are and we know why we're here. It shapes us. William Borden has one of my favorite stories. William Borden was the heir to the Borden Dairy Fortune, Borden Dairy Empire. And in 1904, William Borden graduated from high school in 1904 at the age of 16. Because of the great wealth of his family, his graduation gift in 1904 was a trip around the world. And so he set off for months and months and months on a trip around the world, and on that trip, William at age 16 was moved with compassion for the people of the world and he decided as he was traveling the world, I know what I'm gonna do with my life. I'm gonna be a missionary. This is what I want more than anything else is to be a missionary. When he comes back home, he tells his friends and families that he wants to be a missionary. One of his closest friends says, I don't know why you'd wanna throw your life away like that. Think about who you are. You're a boredom. Think about what's ahead of you. Why would you throw away your life? Sometime around that point in his life, in the front of his Bible, William Borden wrote the words, No reserves. No reserves, meaning I'm not going to rest on the resources and the fortune of my family as I move forward in my life. No reserves. He went on to study at Yale University while a freshman at Yale. He gathered a couple guys to pray. He became impassioned uh, for the campus to come to know Christ. He gathered a couple of men, said, would you pray with me every week for Christ to transform this campus? By the end of his freshman year, there was 150 young men, freshmen, praying for the transformation of the campus of Yale. They say by the time that he graduated from college, There was 1,300 students in prayer groups every week praying for the transformation, not only of Yale, but of the whole area. During his time there, he wrote in a journal, in his journal he wrote, I want to say yes, excuse me, I want to say no to self and I want to say yes to Jesus every time. I want to say no to self and I want to say yes to Jesus every time. While he was at Yale, he he founded and, and got going Yale Hope Mission which was to care for the poor and the hungry who were in the surrounding community there at Yale. He was a very smart man. He, he uh, was the Phi Beta Kappa president. As he graduated from Yale, he had so many job offers, so many, He could have gone in the family business. He said, no, I'm gonna be a missionary. And at that point of his life, he wrote in his Bible in the front cover underneath the word, no reserves, he wrote the word no retreat. He went on to Princeton Seminary. After Princeton Seminary, or while in Princeton Seminary, he decided that he was gonna go be a missionary to the, the Kansu people, Arabic speaking people who lived in China. And so he took a boat to Egypt because he was gonna study Arabic there and then after studying Arabic, he would go on to China to mis- be a missionary for the rest of his life among the Kansu people. Well, in Egypt that first week, he contracted spinal meningitis and he died within a month of arriving there at age 25. When they found his Bible, they realized that at some point there in Egypt, under the words, no reserve and no retreat, He had written no regrets, no reserve, no retreat, no regrets. What a way to live. Why are we here, my friends? Why are you here? You're a follower of Christ, it's to live that life with no reserves, no retreats, no regrets because we have been given a ministry, we've been entrusted with a message and we are on a mission, not by our power. As Paul said in verse 18, all this is from God. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you again for the beauty and the truth of your word. Pray that you take these things and seal them to our hearts, Lord, that you might continue to strengthen us in this mystery ministry and in this message mission as we bear your message we pray this in jesus name and all god's people said Amen. amen